Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Welcome, welcome to Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. I have the amazing opportunity to share a message with you. This is our series that we're in. We are in church trademark, and we're talking about some of the trademarks of the church. And a little bit about myself. My name is Jarrett Gallardo. I hail all the way from Alaska. My daddy is Mexican. My mommy is Hawaiian. And I was born and raised in Alaska. My wife is Chukis. Our kids are mutts with US passports. And, um, and that's who I am. And I have a, <laughs> God is good, y'all. But I have an opportunity to present this message. So without further ado, I know we just got through with prayer and the offering bag is going around, but let's go ahead and pray. Mighty God, I just pray that you would have our heart's attention for the next few minutes as we look at your scripture. I pray, God, that whatever happened throughout this week, we leave it at the altar right now. We just come to you with expectant hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask that I get out of the way that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that your message would be declared this morning. We love you, and we thank you for this, this morning and this opportunity to come hear your word. Would you be glorified in it? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for showing up, waking up, and coming here. We have an amazing opportunity. I'm going to pick up right where Pastor Mark left off in Acts 7, 54 to 60. What happened in Acts 7, 54 to 60 was we have the first Christian martyr. And a Christian martyr is somebody who gave, gives up their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. They are killed for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian martyr is. And Stephen was the first Christian martyr. And so where Pastor Mark left off last week, we saw that Stephen was about to get stoned. Stephen was right here. And then you had Jesus over here standing at the right hand of the Father. And then over here you had Paul. And Paul was with his group of angry Jews who were about to stone Stephen, and they were taking off their clothes, and they were like, you hold my shirt, I'm about to throw this rock. And they were getting angry, and so they had these rocks, and they were stoning Stephen. And Paul is over here, I'm, I'm giving you an example of who Paul was. He was on looking all of this, like, like yep. He was, he was affirming it. He was okaying it the entire time. And so I'm trying to paint a picture of who Paul was. That's where Pastor Mark left off. But in the midst of all that, what happened to Stephen? We, re we read in Acts 7 that he had like a peace that surpasses all human understanding because he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and he had peace in the midst of being stoned to death. That, that is mind-boggling if, if, if that is not something that's like, it's just blowing my mind even thinking about it again. But we have Paul over there, Jesus over here, Stephen just died. Then we pick up in Acts 8.1. What happens in Acts 8.1? We see that Saul was agreeing with putting Stephen to death. He agreed with it. Later in Acts 8.3, it says, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He was ravaging the church. And he would enter house after house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. I was asking Van if there was a ladder. There is a ladder. I'm not going to grab it. But, but he was dragging off men and women, dragging people by the hair, by the foot, whatever, and dra dragging them 
and throwing them to be executed and throwing them in prison. And that's who Paul was. I'm trying to paint a picture of, of who he was. And then that word ravaging, ravaging the church. That word in the Greek is the word limino. And that means to cause harm, to injure, to damage, to destroy. It's also the word to cause havoc. So Paul was causing havoc, dragging men and women to prison off to their deathbeds. And this is the man we're going to talk about today. I'm painting the picture of who he was because he changed. But before we dive headfirst in the scripture, we're going to be in Acts 9. I wanted to tell us a little bit about the book of Acts. The book of Acts was written by Luke, um, the same guy who wrote Luke. And uh, the early church father, the second century leader, Irenaeus, wrote that Luke was the author. Formerly, it's anonymous. He never goes to say in the book, like, I am Luke. I wrote the book of Acts. He, he doesn't do that, but it's taught through scripture and tradition that Luke wrote Acts. And it covers about a span of 33 years, from A.D. 30 to A.D. 63. And it picks up right where the gospels left off. And, and we see that the resurrected Jesus is now on earth for 40 days before his final ascension into heaven. And so how many of us know that Christianity didn't stop when Jesus ascended to heaven because Jesus is alive in us today? And so this is where the book of Acts picks up. It highlights the, the power of the Holy Spirit in this early church, and we've been talking about it. Uh, Armin... Uh, laid a foundation for us that it's all about the Holy Spirit, and Pastor Mark gave our message last week, so this week our message is going to be talking about the community, the community. We are the community of believers here in the church, and we have a problem, though, because the problem is we see this guy, Saul, who, who later we know him as Paul, so if, if you hear those two words today, it's the same person, Saul and Paul. And we see him, and we see his life, and we see him ravaging the church, and then we see a transformation. And I'm going to talk about that transformation just briefly, because this message is actually not about that transformation. But Acts 9, 1 to 9, what happens? While on Damascus, Damascus Road, God met Saul. God met Saul and said that he was going to save him, but he ended up making him blind, and then uh, Saul did not eat, he didn't drink, he didn't see for three whole days. And then in Acts 9, 10 to 19, we see that Ananias, a prophet, was called by God. God said, hey, Ananias, you're going to go, you're going to meet this man, and you're going to heal his eyes. And so Ananias heals Saul's vision. Saul can see. Saul gets saved. And then immediately Saul gets baptized. And then in Acts 9, 20 to 25, Saul is radically changed, and we see that he is preaching that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah. Others were so astounded at that. They were like, holy moly, this was just a guy who was ravaging the church? Is this for real? And then some of the Jews that he used to roll with were like, no, we need to, we need to make him quiet, and we need to kill him. So they wanted him dead. So this is where it leads to our text right now in Acts chapter 9. So if you look uh, at the screen or if you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, 26 to 31, we're going to read there. 
when he, Saul, arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and he had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. So point number one that we're going to pull from the text is the community's doubt. The community's doubt. Comes from Acts 9, 26, which says, And he saw, he arrived in Jerusalem. He had tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And since they did not believe, he was a disciple. So you guys, the early church, they weren't dumb. They, they heard of Saul, and they knew who he was. They knew that he was dragging people to their deathbeds. They knew that he was ravaging the church. They weren't just going to stand by and, and, and take it idly. They knew his history. So here's an example, and I'm going to talk about this example, so keep it in mind. So imagine that would be like us at King's Restaurant. We're sitting down, we're eating with the homies after church, and the waiter's coming and giving us our, our um, what is this thing, the little notebook, the menu, and, um, and we're looking what we want to order, and we're like, hey, man, what did, what did what'd you do this week? And, you know, we're, we're chit-chatting with the homies, and then in the back, we see Paul come in King's Restaurant, and we're like, uh, is that? And then he's looking around and looking around, and he sees us at the table, and he's looking straight at us. And then he says, hey, can, can, I, join, can I join you guys? Do you have room for me? And they were probably thinking, um, awkward. Here's this guy who was just ravaging the church, throwing people in prison, and he wants to come sit with us at the table, right? And so I want us to keep that, that um, awkward story about the restaurant in mind. But here's another example. What about when we see somebody in our own church community? In our own church community, maybe somebody who is a volunteer in a ministry or a leader of a ministry, and we know their hidden secret, or we know dirt on them. Maybe they cheated on their taxes in the, in the past. Maybe they're living with their boyfriend, or we've seen them mistreat their children. What is the initial thought when they walk into the room? Is the initial thought when they walk into the room um, awkward, or is the initial thought to cast that down and cast that thought down? and think about grace. I want us to keep that in mind because that's what we're gonna look at today. That's what we're gonna examine. We're gonna examine our own hearts through that same lens. Um, awkward, when, when, when we have that dirt, when we know that secret about somebody else, do we hold that against them? Are we clenching onto that? Or are we letting it go under the blood? But we're gonna get more into that. So a little bit about Paul's name change because you probably heard the scripture say Saul, then you heard it Paul here. So Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was the Roman equivalent to that name. And we know that Paul's ministry moved from a largely Jewish ministry 
to the context into the Greco-Roman world, into the world where there was a lot of Gentiles. And we know that scripture says that Paul would be all things to all men or all things to all people in 1 Corinthians 9. So perhaps he chose to go by Paul instead of Saul because of the context that his ministry would be heading in towards into the Gentiles. And so for the remainder of this message, I'm probably just going to refer to him as Paul instead of flip-flopping back and forth. Um, so we're going to hear the, hear the name Paul. But Paul made his way to Jerusalem, and here he attempted to join the disciples. He attempted to join the Christians. But according to Luke, they were what? They were very, very fearful of him, and they suspected him of being a supporter of some kind of secret plot to destroy the disciples from within. And I'm sure sometime that they probably heard of his conversion, because if you look at the next slide, there's a map, and this map shows... Um, from Damascus to Jerusalem is 169 miles. That's on a today's paved road from Google Maps. And if you drive there, it takes about three hours. But, um, but realistically, geographically, in that area, 169 miles was not that far. So you can guarantee that news of Paul's conversion spread to them from Damascus to Jerusalem, where they're at right now. They're in Jerusalem. But, so they were probably like, you know, they heard of his message, they, they heard of this, and if you look at the next picture, this is exactly what they were thinking. They were thinking <laughs> a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of plot. They were thinking that Saul was going to get inside the church, maybe topple the organization from the top, take out a few of the leaders, and then head on his merry way. They were very skeptical of his conversion. And so, thinking back of our trademark as a church, our trademark as a church should be grace. It should be a community of believers. And so with that, there might be some new people here that are entering into this new community. And you might have some level of doubt. Maybe doubt that people in this church are saved. Maybe doubt that can I even trust the person sitting to my left and to my right. Maybe you've been burned in the past and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to stick to myself. I'm not going to um, make myself vulnerable to others. You might have some healthy level of skepticism and doubt, and that's okay. We're going to work through that this morning. But essentially what we're asking ourselves is if we're here in church, can I trust the people that's on my left and on my right? That's what we're asking. Can I be vulnerable with the people to my left and to my right? And whether you're new or not, I'm going to submit to you that the answer should be yes. We should be a church where the answer should always be yes. Yes, we can trust the people to our left and to our right. Amen? Amen. So back to the King's Restaurant example, okay? Everybody's on edge. Paul just walked in. He's looking at that table over there and saying, hey, do you got room for me? And so Barnabas does the unthinkable. Barnabas gets up. He pushes his chair in. He walks over to Paul, and he says, hey, bro, how you doing, man? Hey, what's, what's good? I mean, I heard about your conversion. And he sees him embracing him, and the disciples are looking at this like, has Barnabas lost his mind? But Barnabas goes like this. 
brings Paul back to the table. Hey, have a seat, bro. Pushes his chair in, gives him a menu, right? And then everybody's like, probably quiet, like, man, this is Paul, like, sitting at the table right now with us. And so this leads us to point number two. Point number one being the community's doubt. Point number two being the community's grace. The community's grace. And we derive this from Acts 9, 27 to 29. It says, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that how he had talked with him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with him in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. So the community's grace. I want to give a moment and give some props to Barnabas because Barnabas was the man. Barnabas was the man, and he was really living up to his name, son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. That's what his name meant, Barnabas. And we learned that in Acts 4.37, it was the same dude, same Barnabas, who had a field, and he sold that field of land, and with all of those proceeds, what did he do? He didn't go and buy another field or buy a bunch of cattle, but he gave it to the church to advance the gospel of the early church. That's in Acts 4. And in the fourth chapter of Acts, we see that he had this field, he sold it, and he gave all of the proceeds to the early church so that they could advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's who Barnabas was, his name, son of encouragement. So here we see him encouraging, uh, encouraging Paul, putting his arm around him and saying, bro, welcome to the team. I heard about you, but Barnabas is the man. Everybody say Barnabas is the man. Barnabas, go like this, and that means props. He gave him props. I want to see some, I want to see some daps. Okay, okay, good, good. You guys got it? Okay. All right. Barnabas was the man. Okay, so while we have his, his, um, his reference and what he did and how he took Paul, I want us all to think about somebody who we consider a really great friend. Think about that person right now. Who is one of your best friends? Is it your spouse? Is it somebody you grew up with in kindergarten? Who's your best friend? Now imagine your best friend who you labor with, who you know intimately, is stoned to death. And the man who, the assailant, or the people who stoned, or who oversaw this stoning and this killing, comes up to you. Maybe he even walks in this church right now. How do we respond? What, what is our initial thoughts, right? As I was preparing this message, I'm like, man, you know, my best friend is Liz. And I could not even imagine if that happened to my best friend. But what the Bible is commanding me to extend grace, it, it's mind-boggling. But this is exactly what Barnabas did, because Barnabas was the man. He extended grace, and he bridged that gap. <clears throat> And, and they're wrestling with that. They're wrestling with that, that issue of, of murder. And speaking of murder, we see that in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, it says that if we have murderous intents or murderous attitudes in our heart towards our brother, that we've already committed murder without even committing the act, if we have those murderous intentions of the heart. And even when we think about passing judgments, right? 
when we think about passing judgments on somebody else, thinking of ourselves more highly, more special, more sanctified than somebody else, when we think about ourselves better than, um, both of these issues, that, intent, that murderous intention of the heart and passing these judgments, these are both deal with intentions that are coming from within. And so both of those, passing judgments or murderous intentions of the heart, if you want to know what's going to stop discipleship dead in its tracks, it's going to be one of those two things, passing judgments or keeping those murderous intentions of the heart. If we wonder why evangelism isn't happening or discipleship isn't happening, it could possibly very well be because of passing judgments and not letting go or because of keeping murderous intentions in the heart and not releasing those things to Christ. That's how we stop discipleship dead in its tracks, and we do not want that to happen in this church because this church mission is to what? Honor God and make who? Disciples in Micronesia and beyond. We need discipleship to keep flowing. We do not want to stop discipleship in its tracks. And so, okay, there we go. Colossians 4. When we think about murderous intentions of the heart and passing judgments, I'm reminded of verses like Colossians 4. Colossians 4 says that to let our words be seasoned with grace. Let our words be seasoned with grace. And then also in Romans 3.24, it reminds us that we have been justified only by the grace of Jesus Christ. So we've been justified only by grace. And we should allow grace to freely flow out of us, guys. So what are we known for? What are you known for? Are you known for uh, the owner of Hafaloha? Are you known for treating your children really well? Are you known as a welder, as an engineer, as a teacher? Are you known as a husband? What are you known for? Are you known for your grace? When people say, man, who is Rusty? Oh, Rusty, man, he, he's full of grace. Man, he's full of grace. Who is Rose? Oh, man, she's full of grace. She's full of grace. That's, that's what we should, we should be known for, is being full of grace. So think about that. If somebody was to come up who doesn't know you and be like, hey, what is Jarrett known for? Or what is he known for? One of those characteristics that should be coming out of the mouth of somebody asking is they're known for grace. That's what we should be known for as a church. Amen? Barnabas. Barnabas was a mediator who understood God's grace. And because of that, he acted in the way he did and accepted Paul to the table. Remember, grace, all it means is just God blessing us even when we do not deserve it, us receiving God's blessing. But until we get that, until we fully surrender to the gospel of Jesus, we could be 30, 40, 50, 60 years old just going through the motions of church, not fully surrendering to the gospel of Jesus and not extending grace, and then this thing that we call church on Sunday would just be a religious activity where we sit in a fluffy chair, sing great songs, listen to somebody speak, and we just do that Sunday after Sunday, and life would just go on and on, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, if we don't, are not fully changed by the gospel of Jesus and realize that it's all about extending his grace. Does that make sense? All right. In this passage, in Acts 9, 27 to 20, 29, 
Barnabas chose to highlight a couple things. He chose to highlight how Paul had spoken boldly about Jesus Christ. And Armin kicked off this whole church trademark series with boldness. He, 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 he kicked it off with, it's all about being infilled and being led by the Spirit. Infilled and led by the Spirit of God. And the only way that we're going to boldly proclaim Jesus is with the indwelling and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Paul, he conversed with and debated against the Hellenistic Jews. And he probably followed in the footsteps of the person he killed, Stephen, because Stephen's ministry was to the Hellenistic Jews as well. And so we see Paul witnessing to the Hellenistic Jews. Who are the Hellenistic Jews? I'm glad you asked. The Hellenistic Jews were Jews from the Eastern Mediterranean area. They spoke Greek and were Hellenized in culture. All that means is that their culture was Greek culture. But they practiced Judaism. Then you had other type of Jews, Hebraic Jews, who were natives to the area, natives to Israel. And then you had Babylonian Jews who were leftovers from the Babylonian captivity. So you have all these different types of Jews. But the, the ones who are about to get angry, who stoned Stephen and who are getting angry with, with Paul, were these Hellenistic Jews. And so this was not the first time that they were coming after Paul, but this was the second time. We see that in Acts 9.23, Paul was being persecuted, and so they had to let Paul down a, a crack in a wall in a basket, and he narrowly escaped death the first time. And so here we see again in the same chapter these people coming after Paul's life. This is like a a Mission Impossible movie or something. Like, if you could just imagine Saul's conversion and then all of these people coming after him and, you know, they'd be like the, the guy, you know, they're shooting at the guy with all of these guns and then he's just dodging all the bullets. Well, Paul is just dodging all these bullets. He's being let down in a basket and here the, the brothers send him off back to his homeland so that he can narrowly escape. I likened these Hellenistic Jews to the Hellenistic MS-13 uh, cartel mafia who, they're like, no, bro, you're in this for life, vato. Vato's looking forever. Like, you're not getting out of the gang. We're going to get you. Like, because they knew that, that, that he was disrupting the church. If this leader could be converted to Jesus Christ, then how much authority and clout Paul had as he was going and preaching to leaders about who Jesus was. Hey, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. And he was converting these Hellenistic Jews, some of them, but some of them didn't like it and they wanted him dead. This leads me to my example of, uh, I'm going to call him Major P. Can you show the next picture? <clears throat> this guy, so there's a story of, of, of me extending grace. You guys know I'm in the military. I work as a nurse. And uh, this is not the picture of who the, the man I'm talking about. And I'm actually going to leave the man's name out. We're just going to call the man Major P. But I went to school, and as I was going to nursing school, I was also in uh, ROTC. I didn't know that there was college ROTC. For those of you who are looking to get college paid for, there is a such thing as called college ROTC. Um, you could be an officer in the military through ROTC, through the academy, or through officer 
uh, candidate school. That was a free plug for the military. If you want to join, go ahead. But back to my story. Um, Major P, me extending grace, right? Um, I'm in school, and one of my additional duties in ROTC was the recruiting officer. And as the recruiting officer, we had the job to recruit, right? You're a recruiting officer, your job is to recruit. So I was going from high school to high school, setting uh, uh, job fair days up with, with the administrators, but it got to the point where I was taking military hops around uh, on airplane. A hop is a, where you get on an airplane, a military aircraft, and you go to another city. I was taking military hops on an airplane to other high schools in other cities, and it was like, bro, I'm in nursing school right now. I don't have time to, to take these airplane hops. You know, they, they would always tell us like, oh no, you're a student before you're a cadet. You're a student before you're a cadet. That was not the truth. They were like, no, you are a cadet. And so, but they kept saying, no, you're a student before you're a cadet. We want you to pass. And I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm passing if I'm flying out of the country and, I mean, not out of the country, but out of the city, and, I, and I'm making these, these moves, and, and I'm in nursing school at the same time, and I got clinicals, and all this is going on. So I had a meeting with Major P. This is not a major, that's a captain, but I had a, a meeting with Major P. And I'm talking to Major P, and I'm telling him my dilemma, and he is not hearing me. He is like, okay, he was evil, guys. He was evil. <laughs> Um, okay, this is what he really did. He, he was like, you see these papers? I have the power over you to, to, to say whether you commission in the military or not. And I was like, I almost lost it, yo. I almost, I, like how they were taking off their clothes and putting it in front of Paul. I was, I was like, brah. I was like, okay. So then I'm like in his office. The meeting is adjourned, right? He, nothing was accomplished in that meeting. Nothing. And I leave, and I have some brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I'm like, you guys, I just had a meeting with Major P, and this is what he told me. And so they were like, you should pray for him. And I was like, I should what? And they were like, you should pray for him. I was like, man, I want to punch him in the face. I don't, how am I going to pray for him? And they were like, Jared, you need to get that under the blood of Jesus. And I was like, okay, you're right. So what I did was I printed off an 8 and a half by 11 piece of paper that looked just like this of his profile picture and I, I think I laminated it or I had it on like cardstock and I carried it with me to every class that I went to. My science classes, my math classes, my ROTC classes and then people saw me with my books in college and they were like, well, who is that? And I was like, oh, this is Major P. This is my friend who I'm praying for and I love him and, and he is awesome and I love him. And um, and I had to carry that piece of paper around for it to change my mind so that I wasn't like um, awkward every time I saw Major P step in the room, but that when my first thoughts were grace, grace. And I was like, man, God, I need your help. And so, you know, that's, just, that's the same thing with us. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, as we said in week zero, this whole Christianity thing, we're going to fail. We're going to fail. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to extend grace. And that leads me to point number three. <clears throat> point number one was a community's doubt because they had doubt. Point number two was the community's grace. And point number three is the community's peace. 
the community's peace. And I derive this from Acts 9, 30 and 31. It says, when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace, being built up, walking in fear of the Lord and encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. So I'm going back to that King's drama. Okay, we're going to revisit that. So back to the King's drama, right? There was initial apprehension when Paul walked in the room, and then we're all eating at the table, all the homies, and then we're like, okay, he's going to come sit with us, and then Barnabas gets up and says, no, he is going to come sit with us. Here, have a seat. And so this is where we left off. But what happens now that they're sitting at the table? They order their food. They probably have some awkward, casual conversation at first. But then what does he do? He begins to share all of the amazing Holy Spirit-filled stories about marriages that were transformed with the gospel of Jesus, about Jews who were transformed with the gospel of Jesus, about lame people who were healed, about his debates with leaders of the Jews. He's starting to share all of this. Guys, you won't believe what happened. When I was in this city, this is what happened, blah, 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 blah. This is what happened in Damascus. Yeah, I saw this prostitute get saved, and, and all of this is happening. And so they're like, they're getting built up. I mean, what, what happens in life group when somebody shares a, a testimony of God working in, in their life, right? You're like, Man, God gave you a job, or God healed your back, or God, you know, re reunited your family? Like, yeah, and you start getting encouraged and built up and edified. Well, that's the same thing that, that's happening right now because Barnabas went like this, put him at the table, and Paul is starting to share his stories. This is what happened in Damascus. I saw marriages healed. I saw lives saved and Jews be converted to Christianity with the gospel of Jesus. And so that's what happened. And so in that, their guard was let down, and they could have some peace and encouragement being hearing these stories. I want us to notice the words that the author of this book of Acts, Luke, what he wrote in, here in Acts. If you look um, the next slide, it says in, uh, in verse 30, when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. I wanted to highlight that because three verses prior, what were they referred to as? The disciples. But three verses later, we see a shift. We see a transformation. And Luke, the author of Acts, points out that now he's calling them brothers. He's calling them brothers because it was a change in, the, in their shift in the way of thinking of Paul. He was no longer just him and they or they and us. They're the disciples, and I'm an outsider. He was a brother. They were family now, and it was change in their mindset. <clears throat> can you show the next picture? As a result, uh, if you can see that far, the bottom is Jerusalem. This is where they were. They sent him up to that port town, Caesarea, and then they sent him all the way up to Tarsus, which I think we, when we looked it up, was modern-day uh, Turkey. So they got Paul all the way out of the area because these, these MS-13 uh, mafia-type Hellenistic Jews were coming after him twice already. So they were like, no, bro, you got to go. So they, they sent him in a boat, and they sent him out to Tarsus, his homeland, his home city. But it was pretty cool because if you look where that place is, Tarsus, it was actually a, a cultural capital. It was a cultural center. 
And I was thinking about that. Man, that's, that's just like Guam. Guam is, what, what is the USA? Where America's day begins, right? We are, we are the hub to the rest of the Pacific. We are the hub to the rest of Asia. And we are the, the hub to Micronesia. Think about it. We have so many different island nationalities represented here, so many different folks from Asia and Russia here, so many different folks from the U.S. here, and even in this church that Guam is just like Tarsus in that we're a capital center and, and a cultural uh, center of influence. And I think we should use that to our advantage. Um, every nation churches, they like to be what? Multi-ethnic and multi-generational. And if you look around, I think we're doing a pretty good job of being multi-ethnic, multi-generational. Um, so that was just a little side note. But Paul ended up staying in Tarsus for 12 years. We find out in Galatians 2.1 that he stayed there for about 12 years, and um, he did a lot of missionary activity there. And we're not going to hear from Paul until he reappears in Acts 11.25. But the important part is that the mission of the church was now ready to take the gospel of Jesus to the Gentile world because they accepted this guy in and they were like, you know what? We can, we can accept outsiders. We can accept people who don't look like us. We can extend grace. And so that's what they did. And because of that, the church enjoyed a period of peace. Probably also because this ravaging monster who was no longer persecuting them and dragging people off was now one of them. So that's probably another reason why that they enjoyed peace. <clears throat> but I want us to think about the church, right? Think about the church. What is the church? It's us, and the church as a whole is a living, breathing organism. It's a body. Jesus is at the head, and it's made up of a bunch of other smaller groups that are inside of this body as Jesus is the head. And so we see that the, that the church was strengthened and it was led by the Spirit and then it eventually grew in numbers. But Luke wanted us to notice that the church was getting stronger. The church was getting stronger. So in Acts 2.47, we see that word for church in the Greek is called ekklesia, ekklesia. And then we see here in Acts 9.31, it's the same word, but it's a different tense. Now it's plural form of that word, ecclesia, and it means the church as a whole or the churches. So Luke is pointing out now from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 9, the church is strengthening its, in numbers. It's beginning to grow. It's beginning to have unity and direction as it's led by the spirits. Does that make sense? You see that? All right, and so additionally, we see that this is what happens when we overlook past grievances, when we move past doubt, and we move to a place where we are extending grace, that we can experience peace in the body of, of Jesus Christ. Experience peace in the body so that we can fully function with a mission that Jesus has called us to. Can you imagine if we were holding on to those past grievances or holding on to, to those past hurts or to those hateful intentions of the heart and just holding on to it? 
that's like luggage and baggage. And, and you know, like when my kids, when they're, when they're on your, your feet and you're trying to, you can't really walk, that's like us trying to hold on to those things but still function in our ministry or function here at Life in the Sun being holding on to those baggage. We need to let it go and experience the peace of God. Amen? Um, I also want to look at Paul very briefly because Paul, he really had to humble himself if you think about it. He, he didn't let his past history get in the way of entering this community of believers. But what he did was he humbled himself and he lowered himself to the point where, where he allowed himself to be hum, um, vulnerable with this community. And he entered into the, that church community because he lowered himself. And so that's the same way for us. Like, um, I think AJ hit on it or, or, or what, I heard it this morning. It was somebody was, was um, saying that no matter where we've been or who we were, that, that Jesus accepts us into this community. And it's the same thing for Paul. He ate his slice of humble pie. He lowered himself. And he said, guys, I'm saved, and here's who I am now. And he was vulnerable with that community, and they accepted him. <clears throat> One thing that I, that I wanted to point out was in overlooking and in extending grace, there is a delicate balance, though. And it's not that we're overlooking every sin and overlooking everything and, and turning a blind eye to sin. For example, if, if we know um, in, in ministry that somebody is, is not doing what's supposed to be done, or let's say you're, you're, you're with somebody who is other than your spouse, or um, whatever, whatever the offense, right, whatever the sin, the point is not to just turn a, a blind eye to that, but where we can and when able, call sin out, right, and, and don't let it... Um, continue, do it in love, and there, and there is a way that extends grace with that. And what that's going to do is that's going to bring accountability, that's going to bring maturity, and that's going to move you from point A to point B, so you're not just floundering here in your sin, but you have brothers to come alongside of you in your sin and walk with you and get it under the blood. I wanted to point that out because if you, if you hear that just grace, just grace, then you might be inclined to just overlook, 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 and just turn a blind eye to things. We, we can't just do that, too, but in grace and in love, we do have to help people in their Christian walk. Does that make sense? All right. The other thing is that we got to welcome converts, guys. We got to welcome whether people are coming from different religious, different ethnic, or different social backgrounds, we got to welcome them in. And this is exactly what happened with, with Paul. He was from Tarsus, right? And, um, and Barnabas was from, I think he was from uh, Caesarea. I, I wrote it in here. Sorry, I don't know where it's at. But they were from two different areas. But most likely, Barnabas knew that he was an outsider. Paul was an outsider. So he brought him under his wings, too, because he's like, I know what it's like to be an outsider, and I'm going to welcome you into the group. I'm getting ready to close here. And there's a few groups um, that we might know about. 
For one, we might know about those who, who don't know Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Messiah. You are the Saul. And so we all know those people in our life. And it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit is drawing those people. For those of you who do know those people in your life, don't turn a blind eye to them. Don't turn a blind eye. Extend grace and extend love. Can I get um, the keys? Piano. Okay. Anywho. Um, I'm going to end in this scripture found in 1 Timothy 12 to 16. And it's going to be on the screen. And this is a beautiful passage because this passage is looking at Paul. It's looking at his life. Paul is reflecting upon who he was and how by the grace and mercy of God that he found Jesus. And so we're going to read that in 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 13. Uh, 12 to 16, sorry. It says, I give thanks to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointed me to the ministry. One who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of, out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy, and for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Can we all stand up? Paul is saying that he is received the grace from the Lord that overflowed that he received mercy, and he is reflecting on that here in 1 Timothy. And we're talking, we've been talking about church community today, and I want you guys to do something real quick. I want you guys to take a moment, take 20 or 30 seconds, look to the person on your left, look to the person on your right, turn around, everybody turn around too. Turn around. Look around. These people that you are staring at and looking at, this is community, and this is family, and this is the church. So when we come, we don't have designated seats when we come here that we are just stuck in this little designated bubble, but we turn around and we look to the people on our left and to the people on our right because this is where the community happens. This is the church. We are the church. And until we fully move past those doubts and extend grace after we've experienced grace, then we can move into peace. And in that, we're going to get rid of those weights. Like I said, that's like holding on to those past grievances and those past hates Whatever offense, that's like clutching onto that and not letting it go. God wants us to just let it go, get it under the blood, experience the peace of Jesus. If there was ever any offense, 
Go talk to that person. Invite them to King's Restaurant. Take them out to lunch and see what God's doing in their life. You know what I mean? Get it under the blood of Jesus and don't carry that weight, that burdensome weight with us, guys. I almost wanted you guys to turn and look around again because this is the church. If we don't realize that, then this means nothing. We're just coming here on Sunday, like I was saying, hearing, singing some songs and, and raising our hands and hearing some person speak up here for 30 minutes and then going home and then doing it again on Sunday and then going home. But church is, is more than that. This community happens throughout the week in life group. This community happens when we live life with one another, when we take each other by the hand and we say, bro, you got a problem? I got that same problem. This is how I overcame. Let's go, champ. And then you're walking with that person and you're getting it under the grace and you're not clenching on to that hate. You're not clenching on to those, to those judgments, but you're just letting it go. And in that, you experience peace. And what happened in the early church, they experienced peace and it increased in numbers. I mean, look, we got some empty seats. We can fill this place. And Pastor Mark said, if we need to go to two services, then we're going to go to two services. So if that's what needs to happen, we all know Saul's in our life, all of us. And it's our job to be like the man Barnabas who bridged that gap, that socioeconomical gap, that cultural gap, and he took Paul under his wings and he said, here, have a seat at the table, dude. Have a seat. You're one of us now. You're no longer us and them, but your brother and your family. And so I just want to have you guys turn around again. Turn around and look, man. This is your family. This is your family. Does that make sense, guys? This is your family. This is the community. This is the community. And if you have your children over there, that's the next generation of the community. And AJ said that there weren't any anniversaries today, so if you want to hurry up and get married and have babies so that we can have more of the next generation of community, then that's what needs to happen, guys. But this is the community, all right? I want to pray for, for two groups. One, somebody who may not feel worthy enough maybe to be like Paul, right? You don't even feel worthy enough to extend grace to your own self. I want to tell you just as, as it was admonished to us this morning that Jesus Christ's shed blood covers a multitude of sins. As far as the east is from the west, it doesn't matter where we came from. Jesus covered, Jesus' blood covers a multitude of sins. So I want to pray for you if you're feeling unworthy, if you're not feeling grace-like today, today is the day where you're about to feel grace-like. And you're about to be like Paul, and you're about to have a revelation, and Jesus is going to rock your world, and it's going to be amazing. The second group is for the people who need to be like Barnabas, who need to wake up, who need to bridge the gap, who need to be like Sandy, who need to be like Cindy, who need to be like Rose, and be like, I know who you would connect with. You would make a great connection with this person. And, and you take somebody by the hand and you lead them. That's the second group. We all need to be like Barnabas because Barnabas was a man and he bridged that gap.
guys, we're, we're moving past doubt. We're entering into grace. And we will experience God's peace in this community if we do that. Before we pray, though, I wanted to invite uh, church leaders, if you can come forward, because I'm going to open the altar. And if I mentioned any aspect of your life this morning, you need to get prayer for this morning and not walk out of those doors the same unchanged person who's going to come here on Sunday again next week and do the same routine. But you need to get into the blood with Jesus so that we can experience his peace and be fully aligned and assigned to what God has called us to. We have amazing church leaders here this morning who are going to pray with us and walk through that with us and connect us to the rest of the community. Because if this church body isn't functioning right, we're going to be, it's going to be like dead weight and it's going to be hard to function. But we need to function and we need to function well and we need to function with the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit. So with that, let's bow your heads. Let's go ahead and pray. Mighty God, you are so worthy to be exalted this morning. And we thank you for the gospel that changes lives. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus. God, thank you for sending your son, taking our place on the cross and allowing us a new lease on life. We are so so grateful. God, I thank you for this church body. I thank you for this community that we call Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. Jesus, right now we are asking that you would extend grace. God, that you would prick our hearts. If we're running from you, help us to realize, Jesus, that you would rather leave the 99 to go after the one. So we're praying for the one. We're praying for the Saul who may not feel worthy enough, Holy Spirit, cause them to feel worthy right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would they feel worth? Would they feel your love? And they, would they feel your presence? And Holy Spirit, I want to pray for those who are already connected in this community and maybe not acting like Barnabas, not reaching, not reaching out, not bridging the gap, God, would we lay aside whatever filth that we know about somebody else, whatever dirt, whatever um, past experience or hate, we leave that out at the altar and we pray, God, that you would use us to be like Barnabas and bridge the gap. Father God, we love you. And God, I want to pray for this congregation that this morning... We would not leave here unchanged by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the power of the gospel, that we would get all those past offenses and, and everything under the blood so that we could look to our left and to our right and say, this is my family, this is my brother, I'm going to take off my mask and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some accountability partners and we're going to get the sin under the blood and we're going to do this. Jesus, will we be encouraged by this example that we read about in Acts chapter 9? We love you. Holy Spirit, have your way and be with us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.